John chapter 1. Now, how many, how many remember a couple of weeks ago before I went and started through all this, I told you write down things that are questions you might have. How many remembers that? How many did it? You got one? If you, all right. Uh, next Wednesday, if you have some questions concerning uh, the Bible or if you have questions concerning the future, uh, what's going to happen in the future, what, what's going to take place, uh, you write them down, turn them in, and we'll be, in the weeks ahead, we'll be answering those questions, all right? 1 John chapter 1, we'll be go, going through verses 1 through 10, okay? This is, uh, this is probably, uh, I, I, I don't want to say probably the best, because when I, every time I get into the Word of God, it's all good. I mean, they're just, you think, boy, this is the best. You know, you start studying something, you think, well, this is the best. And then you start studying about something else, and you think, wow, this is great too. But uh, John really gives some insight about assurance. He, he is... He is driven by people, he want, he, driven by wanting people to understand, wanting people to know, wanting people to have facts, uh, wanting people to have assurance. He, talk, he, he talks in, his, in, he, in these letters about God is love, tells you a lot of things about, about what God is, and I think we need to get that down. But some things, I want to get into your notes right away, some things never change. Whether you live in the first century are the 21st century, some things never change. Our faith will always be under attack. Your faith will always be under attack. It'll be under attack from uh, our, our society we live in. It'll be under attack from uh, godless professors in the schools, our, our children that, that go to, 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 into our school system. Uh, most of our, now there's a lot of people working in the school system. They're great, great folks and don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But not everybody that works in the school system is God-fearing people. Uh, so, and so, and especially when you, you get into the uh, college atmosphere, a lot of professors, most of the professors are probably liberal professors that don't even believe in God. Uh, so, uh, but our faith will always be under attack. I don't care what century you lived in. And it started 6,000 years ago. The attacks wasn't just something that, that happened yesterday. The attacks on our faith happened 6,000 years ago in the garden with the, the first question uh, that, that, that Eve was, was presented with by the, by the serpent. Hath God said? And for 6,000 years, our faith... Our, you might say the faith has been under attack. What God has said, has said has been under attack. So John comes and uh, he begins to write to believers. And uh, it's not written to any particular church. It's just written to believers. And he begins to give us uh, some, some facts, okay? And I want to start out by what do we know about the Apostle John? What do you know about him? What do we know about him? Anybody? What, what do we know about this guy? He was called John the Beloved. Why was he called John the Beloved? All right. He exactly right. He was Nick. He he was. If you wherever you seen Jesus, you saw John. I mean, all the other guys took off, but there was one at the cross. Who was that? It was the Apostle John. And Jesus, while he was there on the cross, said, uh, "In fact." He gave his mother, he, he let John have, have charge of his mother. And uh, John spent the, the, the latter years of his life in Ephesus 
And uh, the custom is not too far from where Mary finished out and, and lived the remaining years of her life. But, but John accepted that responsibility and I believe took care of her the rest of her life and accepted that responsibility. He was called John the Beloved. Uh, of all the apostles, he lived the longest. In fact, he died of natural causes. When I went to Ephesus here uh, several years ago and we cruised the Mediterranean, we went to Ephesus uh, there in the church of Ephesus, which I showed you the ruins in, in our slideshow here uh, several months ago. And, uh, and probably in one of those slideshows, I showed you the tomb uh, of John the Baptist. He is buried underneath the church or the ruins of the church of Ephesus. His grave is still there. And uh, so, in fact, this letter was written from uh, Ephesus, and he sent this letter out. Uh, so what else do we know about him, okay, besides being John the Beloved and all that stuff? Anything else about John? All right. In fact, how many, how many books of the Bible did he write? All right. Five. Can you name them? All right. First, second, third John. We're going to be talking about that in the next few Wednesdays. First, second, third John. Uh, the, the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. All of them was written by the Apostle John. Now, one of the things that you can, we talked about the Bible being the Word of God. Uh, all of the New Testament basically was written by people who knew Jesus. Eyewitness, people that had lived during his time. John, at the time that John wrote this now, Jesus had long since gone. But uh, everything he wrote, I mean, he was a first-hand witness of everything that took place. And so a lot of your faith, your faith is always going to be attacked by making, and the first way it's going to be attacked is by causing you to try to doubt this. Your faith must be established in the fact that this is God's word. You don't have to have another translation. Somebody don't have to come along and say, well, this is not really correctly translated the way it's supposed to be translated, and we have the key to uh, a different translation and all this other stuff. No, this is the word of God. On all subjects, and your faith has to be established in the fact that men who was with Jesus wrote this book. You say, well, the Apostle Paul wasn't one of the apostles, but he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. In fact, he, in fact, he, when he was knocked off his horse on the way to Damascus, he said, "Who are you, Lord?" God revealed Himself. The Lord Jesus revealed Himself to Paul, and in fact, in Paul's own testimony, he was lifted up in, into the. Uh, third heaven, and he was revealed things that it wasn't even lawful for him to tell us about. Uh, so he and he wrote about fourteen books of the New Testament. So he was he was an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. Uh, there was a, a special revelation given to him. So this book that you have in your hand was not just written haphazardly or by people who didn't know what they were talking about. God used their personality, and the Holy Spirit moved upon these guys. Uh, to give us instructions and what he thought on all subjects. So your faith has to be established that this book is the Word of God. Jesus himself confirmed the Old Testament, did he not? He confirmed the Old Testament. He said if in the Old Testament, in the Scriptures, if you read the Scriptures, they will, they will reveal you, uh, me to you. And so he confirmed the Old Testament. And most of the Old Testament was written by first-hand eyewitness accounts uh, of people who walked and talked uh, with Jesus. So you can, you can depend upon this book. Now, so he wrote five books of the Bible. So we know a lot of things about John. He, uh, people tried to kill him. He was, supernaturally, uh, he was supernaturally kept alive by the Holy Spirit. They, they tried to, uh, to kill him. And one, one, 
report said they tried to boil him in oil and he wouldn't die. And then because they couldn't kill him, they, they exiled him to the island of Patmos out by himself somewhere. And there he wrote one of the greatest revelations of all, uh, that we have in the Bible, and that's the book of Revelation. Uh, so they sent him there to die, and God had him there to give him a revelation. So uh, you, you, he was a fantastic individual, uh, and uh, he, wrote, he writes this book. Now notice, he starts the first three verses, and uh, we want to read them. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to... He gives us, in the very first three verses, uh, declared a lot of facts, okay? Uh, not feelings. He, now... Even though John Bradley uh, had a lot of emotion and had a lot of feeling, but he, your faith, now listen, he talked about facts, not feeling in these first three verses. Why? Because our faith is not established by feelings. Our faith is established on facts. Okay? I have to, I have to tell you that it, uh, now we're, we're all emotional people and we all have feelings and, and uh, we go through issues and trials and stuff in life we go that we have this whole range of emotional feelings but listen your faith and your relationship with God cannot be established on feelings how come huh feelings do what they lie to you how many how many tonight don't feel saved Now, you wouldn't raise your hand if you, you know, if you didn't. But let me put it this way. Have you always felt like you were saved? No. Let me, let me ask it this way. Has there ever been a time that you didn't feel like you were saved besides me? Okay, so if you didn't feel like you were saved, you understand if you, when, you're, when you get your feelings in the way of faith, you will always, always, always be tripped up. Because you're going to go through the whole gamut of emotional feelings in your relationship with God. And you cannot establish your faith on feelings because you will always be discouraged. You'll think you'll feel like God doesn't care about you. How many ever felt like that besides me? Feel like, you know, like God's, God's not listened to me. God doesn't care. He's gone somewhere. He's forgotten about me. I mean, all these feelings come forth. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not working for me or whatever. All these feelings come out. And John, the first thing he starts out with is that bunch of facts. Because and he wants to establish with you the fact that you are, your salvation, your relationship with God is not founded on a feeling. It is founded on facts. And faith is always that your, your facts is the anchor of your, of your faith, okay? There are five things I found in these verses that we need to do with Jesus. Now, I want to go back to verse, verse 1. Let's go through here and let's see if you can find some words. I, I, I like, when I read, you know, you know me, I, when I read scriptures, things jump, kind of jump out at me. And John gives, he gives us a lot of things that, that, about Jesus, all right? See if you can find them. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. 
Now, did you do anything like that? What? Anything jump out at you there? What, 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 is he, what is he saying? Some things we need to do with Jesus, we need to listen. We, we've heard, okay? Some things we need to do with Jesus. What else? We have seen with our eyes. Should we, um, should they, should we be doing some investigating about Christ? All right, keep, keep going. Go to verse 2. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father. Now, let me give you some things that I, that I saw in there. First of all, heard. We have heard, and we have seen. Our hands have handled. You can just put down the word handle. Isn't that awesome? Now, John is saying, listen, I'm not just some Johnny come lately. I'm not going to tell you something that I don't know anything about. I've seen him. I've heard him. Not only have I seen him and heard him, I've handled him. I've touched him. Isn't that an awesome thing? I'm not telling you about something that I don't know anything about. I've walked with him. I've talked with him. I've seen him. I've ate with him. I have fellowshiped with him. Here's some more things. I've looked upon. He, his eyes, he have looked upon. Then the fifth thing is, and all of these things I declare. There's some things we need to do with Jesus. We need to see him. We need to hear him. We need to listen to him. We need to investigate. We need to, we need to handle the word of life. We need to get familiar with, with how Jesus thinks and what Jesus does. I mean, people that walked with him became familiar with him. They became familiar with the way he thought and the way his, you know, his mind worked. I mean, they, that, that was something that happens in fellowship. Now, he declared all of this. Why is it important to know that they handled him? Why is that important for him to tell us that they've handled him? So to know he was human? To know he was human. Eyewitness testimony. You see, in, John, in John's day here, there was people saying, in fact, just what people are saying today. Well, he, did, he, really, he really didn't, you know, come out of the tomb. He was, he was not really real. He was just a spirit person. And all of these things, in fact, people today say, well, he, he didn't really die. Well, I mean, listen, we've handled him. We know he, wasn't, he didn't come out of the tomb just a spirit. We ate with him. We handled him. Uh, we, was, we was there when he first appeared to us behind closed doors, and Thomas wasn't there. But because Thomas wasn't there, he said, I'll not believe until I see him, until I put my hands in the... You remember this, the, the account? So what did Jesus do? He comes back. And he appears and said, all right, Thomas, come here. I heard what you said. What, what did Thomas do? He handled him. It wasn't, it wasn't just some resurrected spirit that had no substance, but it, he said, man, we've handled this thing. We have touched him. We have walked with him. And not only did he show himself alive to, uh, to John and the others, he showed himself alive to a lot of different people after the resurrection. So it's important to know that, that when Jesus was resurrected, he wasn't some, just some spirit. There's one uh, group of people today that teach that Jesus came back uh, several years ago in a spirit body, in a spirit form. In other words, the second coming of Jesus had already taken place. And in fact, they teach that we're in the millennial reign now. And I'm thinking about that. 
if this is a millennial reign and if this is the best Jesus can do, let's sell our houses and spend the money. If this is as good as it gets, hey, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I choose not to believe that. I think I'll believe the book, okay? When Jesus comes back, I'm telling you what, when he sets up his kingdom here, it's going to be a, a wonderful, it's going to be a, a wonderful uh, reign of Christ. I mean, the metabolism, I read the metabolism of the animals, going to be changed and carnivorous animals metabolism will be changed they're going to eat grass like the ox uh, it's going to be a there'll be, there'll be no more war I mean no more uh, things going on like we've experienced that's what the millennial reign that this Bible talks about so it, it is important to know that they have handled him Jesus or John said I declare all this to you that you may experience what fellowship fellowship with God and fellowship with each other with us and with the Father. Now listen, put this down. Our ability to fellowship with each other is a direct result of the fellowship that we have with God. Something unique happens when you become a Christian. Notice, fellowship means having in common. Having in common. Kononia is the, is the Greek word. It means partnership, participation. It means communion. Now, no matter where you go, there is something in the life of a believer. There is a connection. I don't care where the believers meet. I don't care what Bible preaching church they attend. It could be here in Bosco and Shafter. It could be in Bakersfield. It could be in Oklahoma, Arkansas, or Texas. But there is a common connection that, that a fellowship that takes place between true believers you have, no matter where you go, if they are a believer, you have something in common. It doesn't have to be the color of your skin. and It doesn't have to, it, it doesn't have to be a, a gender. I'm telling you, there's something in common. The Holy Spirit is living in that other person, and there is a connection. There is fellowship. And there is common ground that you can, that you can sit down and have coffee, and, and if they're a genuine believer, there is a connection, and there's genuine fellowship regardless of where they attend church or where they worship. Why? Because that's what fellowship is all about. And John is saying we have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with each other. And our ability to fellowship with each other is a direct result of the fellowship that we have with God. Now, then notice John gives the conditions. John gives the conditions of fellowship. Now, uh, all of them start with the word if. The word if suggests we have a choice. This is not something that is forced upon us by God or man. When John was called by the Lord to follow him, he was mending nets. One writer says about John that sometimes when people are called uh, to follow the Lord, their, their occupation that they were in uh, when the Lord called them kind of qualifies them for the ministry that they have when they start following God. Now, I don't know how true that is in all cases. But in John's case, it was very true because he was known as a mender. Uh, and in these, these uh, letters, he, began, he, he, he he's skillfully mends people's relationship to God. And he, and he shares with us the conditions to keep fellowship current and active and fresh in our lives. So as and then so he gives us the conditions of fellowship and all of these conditions start with the word if. Now listen, 
there are some that teach that if you were meant to be saved, that uh, in the course of your life, grace is going to come upon you in such a way that you'll be forced to receive Christ. Well, this word if means that we have a choice. This word if, by the, by the way it is written, declares, I mean, it's not something that's going to be forced upon you. If is two letters, but boy, it's a great word, isn't it? If you do this, if you do that, means that someone has a choice to make. So notice now, John gives the conditions, and there's five of them. Five is a number of what? Five is a number of grace. Okay, and there just happens to be in this chapter five ifs. Now notice what he says. Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we what? We what? What? If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk. What does that word walk mean? What does that word walk mean? Following? Walk, that word walk. And, and the King James uses the word walk, but it actually means, would it, could we insert the word live? Could we insert the word live there? Let, all right. If we say that we have fellowship with him and live in darkness, could we, could we, could we take that word out so it will be better understood? If we live in darkness, we what? We lie and do not what? Practice the truth. Now, listen to me very carefully. It's a, the condition of fellowship. The first one is this. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we are liars. Now, some people say, now, th now these five if words also five experiences of life. Now, first of all, because we, we always, we talk to people all the time who uh, claim to be believers. And uh, they say, don't judge me. And they say, because uh, you're looking at me, you think, uh, you're a believer. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer. Uh, well, when did you get saved? Well, it's none of your business. I mean, don't, don't be judging me. Uh, and they try to put condemnation on you because you're inspecting fruit. Now, listen, you need to have enough on the ball. You don't have to, you don't have to ridicule people. You don't have to put people down. You're, you're not called to be a lawyer, but you, don't, you, you better be armed with the truth so that you're not deceived because not everybody says they're a believer is a believer. And you need to have enough on the ball and know God's word enough to be able to understand who is one and who is not. Because John says, if, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we are what? If people say, I'm a believer, but they live a rebellious, disobedient lifestyle, they are not believers. Now, I'm not talking about making a mistake. I'm talking about living a lifestyle of sin and rebellion and wickedness. That, that is not what John is saying. You cannot have fellowship with God and do that. Now, John's pretty blunt, isn't he? John just, I mean, he just kind of takes, takes the blanket off and just kind of exposes us all, says a person that says that, they're a liar. Now, you don't have to tell them they're a liar. You just have to arm yourself with, it, with the knowledge that they're not what they appear to be or say they are. And don't put yourself in a position to be hurt by them. You have to be armed with this. Is this Okay. Because there's something wrong. They, they're walking, they're living in darkness, and they're not practicing the truth because the terms of our first condition of fellowship is that they've got to live 
uh, uh, in light, all right? And notice this. All believers without exception were once in darkness. All believers without exception were all in darkness. Jesus said, you have been called out of darkness into this what? Marvelous light. See, the scripture says God is light and in him there is no darkness. In him there is no darkness. And we all walk in darkness. Now, we thought we were cool, didn't we? And we really didn't know the truth until God called us out of the darkness. And all at once when we were out of the darkness, we looked and we thought, yeah. We didn't know it was in darkness. You know, there's something amazing about darkness. Darkness is deceptive. Uh, if you walk in the dark long enough, your eyes get adjusted to it. I've went into steakhouses. There used to be a place, I think it's still there, over, uh, it's called the Kansas City Steakhouse. And it's not too, it's right off of 24th Street, kind of uh, right up from Rosemary's uh, ice cream place toward, toward KC Steakhouse. I went there years ago. I walked in there and it was so dark. I mean, and there's a guy leading us to a table. And I, I, man, I'm going like, I'm groping in the darkness. That's no joke. Couldn't see. Come right out of the light into there. But after I was there for a while, you know what happened? I got adjusted to it. It, it wasn't that dark. See, there's something deceptive about darkness. If you live in darkness long enough, you get used to the darkness. It's not really quite as dark as you think. But that's deception. Listen, God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the reason the scripture says you are the light of the world. God's called you out of darkness. He, is, he has placed his light inside of you so that you would shine in the darkness for others so that others may see. That's the reason we're the light. And so there's no darkness in God uh, at all. He is, he is a God of light. Now, notice what it says here. All believers without exception wants in darkness. The world loves darkness. The world loves darkness. Almost, I mean, some people can't wait for nightfall. I mean, real strange characters come out at night, don't they? I mean, in the, in the daytime, they are the normal go-to-work people. But at night, you know, during the energy crisis here a couple of years ago, cities started turning the streetlights off to conserve energy. They had to start turning them back on. You know why? Because crime went up. Because crime went up. As long as the lights were on and people could see, it helped crime down. But as soon as the lights went off, crime went up. And they had to turn the lights, regardless of the energy crisis, they had to turn the lights back on because only the light was the deterrent to hold down crime. Listen, why? The world loves darkness. They wait for the darkness. And then the world in sin just kind of is kind of exposed. He has called us out of darkness. Now notice, darkness is the absence of light. What are the ways you can turn off the light? Now, darkness is the absence of light. A lot of people that claim to be Christians find ways of turning off the light. How do they do that? How can you do that? What's some of the ways we can turn 
the light off. Huh? Inside of your life. Justification of sin. Justification of sin is great. I mean, you can, you can, you can start dimming the lights. Just start justifying your, your sinful actions. You can start, little darkness creeps in. Some people stay away from church because church is a way of bringing light. They're exposed to the light. So some people, some Christians just kind of stay away from them because when they're there, the Holy Spirit taps on them, don't they? Studying the scriptures is another way. You just ignore the Bible. Just stay away from the Bible because the Bible will turn the light on. There's a lot of ways you can turn the light off. There's a lot of ways. Just, just fail, and you can, you can put some of these things down. You, uh, and in fact, I'll give you the two that I put down. Some of them are real uh, open, and they're easy to, to, and you can write all those things down. But I put down number A. Compare yourself with other Christians. Boy, you can walk years in darkness if you just start comparing yourself with someone else. Just, just pick a believer that's not really walking up close and personal with the Lord. If you're going to compare yourself with somebody, you can go for years walking in darkness. Just compare yourself with those that are not doing what they should be doing. See, you can, you can pride yourself in thinking, well, I'm better than them. Who are we supposed to compare ourselves to? <laughs> How many know that if we compare ourselves with Jesus, we lose every time? <laughs> we lose, man. And we'll talk about that in a minute. When we, I mean, but you can go for a long time, you know, if you compare yourself with other believers. How about uh, blame others for your problems? Just blame, blame other people for your problems. The reason I have all these problems is because of her. Reason I have all these problems is because of him. Reason I have all these other problems, everybody's against me. Reason I have all these problems is, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. The reason you have all these problems is you. Hold your finger up right here. The reason you have all those problems, now take your finger and point it right here. <laughs> That's a good job. Yeah, just point it at your neighbor. Thou art the man, you know what I'm saying? You know, you know, so you can go for a long time. You just start blaming everybody else for, for your stuff. And you can walk for years in darkness, but the reason you have problems is because you. You have not got control of yourself, okay? Never take inventory. Never take inventory. You are your worst enemy. And it wasn't the devil that made you do it. Can I get a big Amen. We want to blame the devil on everything. No, it's you. Now, the second one. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. Now, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, as you receive light, and you then uh, submit yourself and begin to walk in that light, there's two things that happen. There is fellowship and there is cleansing that takes place in your life on a daily basis. That's a condition of fellowship, all right? Light allows us to see clearly. Light allows us to see clearly. There, there is nothing that will make you stumble more than trying to walk around in the dark. How many's ever got up at night in the dark and hung your toe? <laughs> Doesn't that feel good? 
Oh, are you running into something? Somebody puts a chair where it wasn't supposed to be put. Oh, man. I'm, I'm, oh, I better not tell you that. She, she's upstairs. Boy, somebody puts a chair out there where it's not supposed to be, and you're, you're turning off the lights as you're headed for the bed, and that chair's out there just a little bit farther than it's supposed to be, and you think of all those good words. The darkness causes you to stumble. What, what is going to keep us from stumbling? What is Psalms? What is, what is Psalms 119? Somebody, somebody probably says it in a, Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word is a light, a what? A lamp unto my feet, a light. All right. Where are you going to get that? So as you get into the word of God, as the word of God is shared with you, and the light shines upon you, then as you walk in that, when you, when you put it to practice in your life, there is fellowship that is maintained, and there's a cleansing effect that's going on in your life. If. It's a big word, isn't it? If is a big word. Okay, that's the second. Then thirdly, it's verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Listen. If we say that we have no sin, we what? We deceive ourselves. Self-deception is, is a tough one, Okay. If we say that we have no sin. Now listen. Does everybody have sin problems? I'm talking about, I'm not talking about unbelievers now. I'm talking about believers. Can we talk? How many said some bad words this week already? How many thought some bad stuff this week already? Jesus, we're all sinners. Let's pray right now. Someone said, I haven't, I haven't thought about divorce, but I've thought about murder. <laughs> That's Brother Higgins' favorite saying, wasn't it? We've never talked about divorce, but we have sure thought about murder a few times. You know, we're talking about believers. Believers have some sin problems. And it's not just, well, the words we say, and, and, and you know, is there any such thing as a white lie? But sounds good, though, doesn't it? <laughs> John chapter 8 and verse 7. We'll go there, Bush, if you can get it. John chapter 8 and verse 7. Now listen, all believers, all believers have sin issues. We're, we're not all lily white all the time. That's the human side of us. Paul said, when I would do good. Did Paul have a problem? Absolutely. He, he wrote... 13, possibly 14 books in the New Testament. And Paul said, when I would do good, when I would do good, evil is. And that, would, that which I wanted to do, I did not do. I mean, you could see the struggle. He said, there is a law that is in my flesh and it's warring against the Spirit. And, 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 and he said, oh, wretched man that I am. Now, every one of us wrestles with those same issues. Now, yes, we might fail, but we don't live in those failures, okay? That's what a believer, a believer takes care of those issues, but it doesn't mean that we don't have some issues we have to take care of. And some of us have to take care of them on a daily basis, a moment-by-moment moment basis. Someone said, well, I can't be like you. You're perfect. There is no one perfect. We killed the only perfect person. We killed him, and he died for us so that we might find cleansing. Now, look what the Scripture says. 
So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, Who is he? Who, he, who raised himself up? Anybody knows where this is at? The woman taken in adultery. All the religious Pharisees who under the law were considered blameless. I mean, they were religious zealots. They did everything. They tithed to the minute. I mean, they were, according to the law, they were the elite. Okay? But he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Here's a woman taken in adultery. Some self-righteous people are wanting her to be stoned or to be killed to test Jesus. He has bent down the ground and wrote a bunch of stuff on the ground and there's all kinds of theories to what he wrote. Doesn't really make any difference. But he raised himself up and said, you that are without sin. Now, which one of them threw the stone first? Do you know? None of them. Why? Why didn't they? They, and why did they leave? Because they knew they had some issues. They had some issues, didn't they? So people that live in glass houses shouldn't throw. So we take care. Now notice, we take care of them. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Okay? You that are without sin. What, what do we do with the sin? Here's what we do with it. Number four in verse nine. Here's what we do. If we, now notice all these if things are conditions of fellowship, okay? If we what? Confess, now he's not talking to the unbelievers here. He's talking to who? Believers. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now I want to tell you some things about, now I want to tell you some things about this, okay? Uh, we, confession is for believers, okay? Our sins, that's personal. Does me no good to confess your sins. You, you're not in charge of taking care of my sins, okay? You got to take, it's a personal thing. You have to take care of your own sins, okay? We confess our sins, and it's for believers, now listen, in order to confess, you've got to take care of pride. See, confession, in order to confess, you've got to acknowledge I have, a, I have an issue. Confession is taking personal responsibility for sins. No, notice we do one thing. We, all The only thing that we're asked to do is what? Confess our sins. Accept responsibility that we have some issues here. We need to get under the blood, Okay. And then notice what the Father does. Look at what God does. He is faithful, and He's what? Just to do what? And do what? In clean. Now, so we do, He asks us to do one thing be honest with yourself and confess. Take personal responsibility for your issues, and this is what I'll do for you. I am just. God, can you trust God? He, he, you can trust him. Is he faithful? He wouldn't lie to you, would he? God is not a man that he should lie. And he is saying to us, if we'll confess our sins, I'm faithful. I'll treat you right. 
He's just. You can't con him. He's absolutely just. He'll do, you can trust him to do the right thing every time. He'll forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. All it takes is us to humble ourselves, kill the pride in us, and confess that we have issues. Verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now listen, this is talking about the rebellious. This is talking about the people who uh, deny the existence of God. It's talking about the people that does, doesn't want to acknowledge God at all. If we say there's no such thing as sin, we, we don't have to deal with sin. Sin's a figment of somebody's imagination. Sin is something that, that Christians made up. That's what it's talking And I'll notice, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Romans 3.23, anybody know what it says? First part of the Roman road. For all have what? Sin. How many? How many at all? Is that everybody that's, ever, that's, that's been born the last thousand years? It's everybody that had been born from the past to right now. All have sin and come short the glory of God. If. Well, if's a big word, isn't it? But the conditions of fellowship is that we take care of the sin issues in our life so that we maintain fellowship with God, okay? Sin must constantly be dealt with. Sin is, is deceptive. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that as we get through this, as we get through this uh, three uh, short books. We'll talk about sin. We'll talk about knowing. We'll talk about assurance. We'll talk about joy. Uh, God wanted, uh, you know, our relationship with God is not something that, uh, that cannot be, you know, it's not something hard. It's just something that we have to take care of. Our relationship with God has to be taken care of. Does any relationship have to be taken care of? You just start neglecting your wife. You just start neglecting your husband. You just start neglecting your relationships. What's going to take place? <laughs> She'll kill him. All you have to do, all you have to do is mess up your relationships. You just start neglecting. Start taking them for granted. Start taking them for granted. Relationships, all relationships on a natural level uh, needs to be worked on and nurtured and, and, and fueled. And the same way uh, it, with, with a vertical. We, we need to take time. It takes time for God. And, and uh, there's some sim simple principles that we can use to maintain our relationship, fellowship with God. Any questions before we go?